theory or practice, it's a constant battle when you're teaching. I'm Dr. Joy Patterson, the Director of Educator Preparation at Governor State University and the College of Education. And I'm Dr. Amy Viaquia, Governor State University Assistant Professor of English Teacher Education. In teaching and learning theory versus practice, Dr. Joy and I will duke it out over whether theory or practice wins the match. Yeah, I can't wait. So whether you're a teacher, an education leader, or looking to learn more about the field, you can hear from industry experts on education topics. We invite you to be the judge as we box it out. Stick around to find out who wins this week's match. Good morning, Dr. Joy. Good morning, Dr. Amy. How are you today? I'm doing well, and you're looking fantastic. Thank you very much. It's a gloomy day, so I thought I'd spruce up a little bit to make myself brighter. <laughs> but, you know, as professional women, we have so much to talk about. Yep, yep. And today we're going to talk to a professional woman who I admire and love listening to. And thinking about sprucing ourselves up and being professional women, culture and climate in the workplace is so extremely important. And it's super important where we are in the education field. In this conversation today with this expert, this very respected person, I do, I want to kind of delve into culture and climate and retention because Amy, we have to do a better job of returning our best and brightest educators. I agree. We've said the words teacher shortage, educator shortage so much. It's not going to change until we have people in the field who want to stay there because they're well prepared to take on every challenge in any situation. And that's what our goal is at Governor State University, of course. But how? So, right. but we are going to talk to Lisa Harrell, who leads the Cleveland Avenue LLC people function in identifying and developing talent and in creating a unique company culture, as you were saying. In her role, she is accountable for overseeing the life cycle of all team members, including succession planning, total rewards development, personal and professional career growth, and leadership development. In this role, Ms. Harrell is also accountable for building and executing the Cleveland Avenue Foundation for Education Internship Experience. Ms. Harrell holds her Bachelor of Arts degree in speech and interpersonal communications and master's in human resources and industrial relations from the University of Illinois at Champaign-Urbana. She is an expert speaker. I know this and you know this, Joy. We've heard her speak, but she's an expert speaker on human capital and leadership development change management and corporate competency development. And Ms. Harrell currently serves as the Governor's State University Board of Trustees Chair. 
Secretary for the Top Ladies of Distinction, and board member for the OASIS Foundation for Education and an active member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, dedicated to service to all mankind. And we are so excited to have you with us today. Thank you, Amy. I appreciate that. And the, the bio and the reading, I am humbled and honored. Gee, we, no, I'm not AKA, but I thought I'd put that out there for you this morning, brighten up your day. <laughs> and I just want to be real for a moment. I received a phone call from Ms. Harold this morning. And the phone call was started off as an apology. It's like, I'm apologizing because I have a people issue. I have this HR issue at work that demands my attention. And then it turned into not an apology. Like, I don't need to apologize for this. I'm not sorry. I have a people issue. I value people. I value this person. So I'm not sorry. So can we delay this just a little bit because I have to tend to this person and I just have the utmost respect for you when I hear that because oftentimes you don't hear that from an HR perspective and you didn't see it as an HR issue, personnel issue, you saw it, the person as a person, and that person became real and very important to you. And so my hat just goes off to you for that. And actually that really impacted me and I'm going to take that with me because that was a lesson learned for me this morning. So thank you for that. You know, our daily pieces, I am, um, the honest part is in human resources and doing this for so long, and we were trying to be business professionals. I think the human part was lost from human resources a while ago. We, we have to get it back. That is yes, it. So. I, I agree. I agree. So we're on the subject. Explain your role as the chief human resource officer in your position at Cleveland Avenue. Thank you very much. And first, and I, again, I have to just thank you for this honor to speak with both of you. I respect your work. I respect this podcast, what you're doing, what you're learning, and what you're teaching and putting out there. So thank you for that and even this platform. So I work for a private equity firm. And the really great thing about what we do is it's not only for our small firm, which we've got about, about 70 people, but we have all of these portfolio companies that we work with as well. So internally as a function, it is leading the cultural issues, which means anything that has to do with company benefits, recruiting, bringing people aboard, the retention piece, all of those pieces to make sure that the person is feeling valued here, right? Because we are the industry where our people are our biggest asset. That's it. It is creating a framework in which people can do their work. So that is my job. That's here. The second part, though, is as portfolios come in, our team actually does coaching with them. So you have startup companies that entrepreneurs are learning to move from being an entrepreneur to a business owner to now a CEO. And how do you do that? Because leadership does matter in every single situation. And how do you morph your style and, and your engagement along that path? We do it for nonprofit organizations as well as profit organizations. So the social innovators are in there as well. You've spoken with us before about other roles you have. Could you tell us what other directions you've done in your personal and professional life? Yes. Okay. And, and, I, and I can tell you about it. This one it gives me the opportunity to talk about it. The expansion of my role naturally is, is around people. It's around leadership. It's around organizational effectiveness. That's, that's my bread and butter. 
And so our CEO, who is this amazing visionary about what we can do, started looking at, okay, so we do this for the small amount of companies. We can only help so many, but look at all these other companies that we may not have invested in, but they still need help. So we've actually created an organization and we're launching in February, 2022 called the Frederick Douglass Entrepreneurial Development and Leadership Institute, where we take care of not only the business, but the entrepreneur itself. So we do business development and leadership development. And so my role there is I'm actually the founding executive director of that. And so the whole point is to expand what we're doing for the companies from the smaller bubble to as many companies as we can touch. Um, because we do know that piece infrastructure, how you move forward, your supply chain, your connections, all of those things feed into a successful business. And with that, as your business grows, leadership capacity needs to happen, challenges and, and how you move from managing just yourself to now globally. And what does that look like? That may shift and change. And I get the absolute honor of bringing in an ecosystem to support and put a wraparound services around those companies. So I'm so excited. Yeah. That is exciting. We need that kind of structure in the education arena. And I know that you know that. Amy and I were talking this morning and we were talking about retention. Yeah. And whether it's in education and business, and we're hearing that a lot. We're still in this pandemic and we're seeing employers that are struggling to find quality employees. And that's certainly the case in education. We already had a shortage. Now that shortage is even greater. Data shows us that 40% of educators leave the profession in the first five years. So it's not just a matter of us attracting and preparing educators to go into the field. It's more a matter of us keeping, keeping that talent and hanging on to that. And I know that's so much of what you do. So my question is, what strategies do you implement to help with retention, to build retention? What are principals and superintendents? I mean, what's going wrong? What are we not doing in education that would make 40% of the educators leave within the first five years? Thank you even for that opportunity. So I want to level set with one thing that I will tell you. Organizations are made of people, be they in a segment of education, the private equity space, service space, manufacturing, they're entities, and those entities are made up of people. And every organization and every industry has some nuances, has some cultural, has some climate things, right? So you knowing that, the first part when people start, they, they get into retention conversations. When you got to back up, and let's talk about your recruiting process first. <laughs> let's really get to the forefront because sometimes what we call quick quits. So five years isn't necessarily a quick quit, but that's like within the first year or so, we call them that. And it can be up to five years. Are typically because did you look at and have a, a system that really identified not just the technical stuff we needed, but what culture do we have here? Do we communicate that effectively to the person? Do we allow for them to ask questions so that they were a part of that process? Because what happens is sometimes we've set up everything so much that people go, okay, I'm just looking for a job. And I'm going to spend my time impressing you as opposed to allowing you to feel part of this conversation. So when I come in, I know what I'm getting into because no organization is perfect. Education, the industry itself is not perfect, right? But there are certain passions that you look for, not just within the industry, but within your organizations. So for Governor State, let's talk about it. Absolutely love the school. Love everything about it. You are an indication of that. But you being there, you have things like panel discussions with uh, peers, people who are in the role, getting people involved that, that, are, that do well there in your culture already and have them interview because they know what it feels like to be successful there. So what is it, um, my mom always says, don't ask somebody how to raise kids who've never had kids. 
we tend to give people in interviews and an HR person is a good person to have in the beginning, right? Because that's cultural fit. Let's have them talk to people that are in those roles. Let's have them understand what it feels like to be successful here. Give them a buddy, right? So that's a huge part. A buddy is somebody who's not my manager that I can go, oh my God, I can't believe things happen. This is, and they help you get back on track. But they're usually our people that are doing well with that. And then once you're there, it's, it's we do these things called state interviews. Most companies have started, they do exit interviews. So you learn all this great data about what the issues are when the person leaves and you're like, I could really nice to know. So making state interviews part of your whole process quarterly, let's talk about what this feels like for you. There's a tool and many of you might know about it. It's the Gallup 12, it's like employee engagement. And it asks those fundamental questions. And one of the first things is, do I get to do what I do best every single day? And when people can't answer that question or feel like the value that they bring is tied to the mission, they go away. People always say, oh, they leave more money. Not necessarily. I want to know that I have value. I bring value that I'm able to balance. But in the end, that I'm making a difference. Connecting people to the vision, not only of the industry, not only of the profession, but the organization and the manager. So I'm going to put a real, because I told you, leadership is up. It's about me. It starts from the top. But in the end, my relationship is with my direct manager. So ensuring that we're spending money and time on cultivating leaders, managers, people who will be impacted the lives of our employees. That was a really long answer, but it's a great question. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I love what you're saying about the culture, the climate. Really, it is about the people. What I've started looking at more and more is this map of meaningful work. And this book has four different pathways for thinking about meaningful work. And you're speaking to those, that integrity to self. Are you able to realize, are you true to yourself and to your beliefs? And that service to others, which it sounds like that Frederick Douglass Foundation is really allowing you to do, are you able to meet your potential? Are you connected with others? All of that is speaking to me about that culture and climate. I have a question, though, about that entrepreneurial piece. What draws you to education? Okay, so fundamentally, I will say I am a product of my environment. I am a product of a hand up and not a handout. I came from a very different environment. The education was my path. So I grew up in Roseland on the south side of Chicago. Loved it. It's got an interesting reputation, but that's okay. Because I will tell you, this is the most resilient population you will ever, ever, ever meet. And I grew up literally down the street from Chicago State University. And education was not around me, but my parents knew enough to get me close to people who are. So I know for a fact that education was my role to do something greater and bigger. And my education is not something that can be taken away from me. What I did find though, when I went back to college and want to give the organizations that actually got me to college, no longer existed. These were educational foundations. These are one that got you not just the money to college, but you know, the, um, the connections, right? So that piece of it. And I'm like, why is this not, what is going on? Finding that the support was not necessarily there. So I want to do everything I can to ensure that the folks coming behind me have the same opportunities. So education in and of itself from instructor retention to colleges and what that and universities and what that looks like and sitting on the board is my passion there. But working with the Cleveland Avenue Foundation for Education and the internships, because we know getting that education and that first good internship leads to that first good job, leads to that first great career, that there is um, there's a pathway to make that happen. So why is it important to me? Because that is something that I could have impact daily because I meet people like you 
and then my impact can be just magnified people by people by people. I work well in the structural piece, wasn't necessarily in the classroom, but I mean, I love training, right? But if you give me the opportunity to create a framework so that you as professors can do your best work and impacts the best thing, that's what I'm here to do. Let's get the stuff out of the way so you can just do what you love to do. So now that we've transitioned to education, let's talk about your role as chair for Governor State University, the board chair, and you're, you already have such a busy life. Why would you assume such a role in your busy life? And how demanding is this work? It is my privilege and my honor to do so. So let's, let's be real clear. We make time for things that are important to us. You can give somebody who's not busy something to do and they'll never get it done. You can give a person that's extremely busy something to do and they'll get it done when it's their passion. Mm -hmm. So I, I need to put that out there. No matter how busy I am, I just told you education is that and you give me that opportunity and I'm there. Leadership roles for me are not that taxing if you have a team. Governor State is particularly a passion for me. Because I live in the Flossmoor area. We have seen the impact of this, the university itself and your work. I believe in your leadership. I believe in your faculty, in your students, in your mission, in your impact. So the why is because this is an organization that is already doing some great work. And if I can be there to help with the framework, then absolutely. I don't even think I forgot the last question. I just want to be here. So you said, why would you assume this role? Yes. And, and you partially answered that when you talked about how important education is to you and you want to give that same opportunities to others. And we do. We, I do think there's a lot of work for access. You had some access points that maybe many others don't have right now. I didn't have, I went to a college prep high school. I went to Limblum, but yet and still, yeah. And I saw that Dr. Green, she's an alum of Limblum. My entire family graduated from Limblum Technical High School, but still my parents did not prepare for me to go to college. So they didn't financially prepare, even though they felt like that's the next thing. I knew that I was going to college. I just didn't know the process. Right. of getting there. And I had to start at Daly Community College, which was great for me. And I did my first two years there before going on to a, a state university. But we have to provide that access. And it doesn't always occur in the high school. And it doesn't always occur with school counselors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what you just said is so critical because it is the access piece. And the role is different for every for different people, period. My parents are and no money. So like, yeah, we can have a conversation later on about the, the, the middle class and education, right? So we had no money and I could find scholarships probably a little easier. They didn't know I helped myself, but I had people around me that led me there. So it wasn't through my school. It was just a person who took me up and said, oh my God, you come over here because you can go that way or that way and you going that way. So let me pull you back. When you create an access, you're creating an equitable system in which people feel welcomed and supported and like they belong there. And I think Governor State does. There's one thing for me when I, I grew up in Rosen, which Rosen is, it was at the time too, 100% Black, 100% African-Americans. My introduction to University of Illinois was my first experience really interacting with people of different races and different socioeconomic situations. And it was so eye-opening and everyone should have access to that, to be able to have conversations that go beyond their immediate block and education opens that door to say, I belong at every single place that I am and I can interact with. So I'm, I learn from a joy and an Amy and I'm supposed to be there in every situation. And education does that like no other. And it's a safe place to talk about differences and issues and challenges and commonalities. We are talking to Lisa Harrell about 
professional, entrepreneurial, education, all sorts of things that actually tie together so well if we were just to look at our students as our clients who need us to be the best for them. Also, we can be the best for each other. And if we're looking at people as people, instead of a cog in a wheel, then we can, we can really move places. I love that you said that. I said it during Dr. Green's investiture and it's just, it's on my wall. And in that one line that says, when you fix, you assume something is broken. When you help, you assume something is weak. But when you serve, you're assuming that someone or something is whole. And when we serve our students, when we are a servant leader, when we are servants to institutions, we assume, and we come from this, this place of the wealth that exists there rather than looking at the lack, and you change your approach. Access does not become this, oh, let me help you. It's gonna know we're creating an equitable platform so that you can succeed. The way you do that might look different, but it does not mean that you're weak. It does not mean that you're broken. It means that your experience requires a different way for me to serve you in order for you to be the best that you can absolutely be. So it is, again, it is that mentality of just wealth as opposed to that lack of talent. I love that. And you students in a very different way as well. I remember that poem and I really embrace the concept of being a servant leader. On that note, talk about what is your hope for GSU? It's realizing it now. It is the gym, but it's no longer hidden. It yes. is increasing the impact within the community. It is the voice of GSU that this, your voices, Joy and Amy in your podcast, and the creativity that is you exponentially just starts to make impact. So it is about impact, it's about expansion of access to our students so that we are a first choice for that student who is from Frankfurt that is at the top of their class and can go anywhere. And they chose GSU because it is the best local place for them to be. It is that student who may not have thought that even college was in their reach and they chose GSU because they knew they could be successful. It is not lowering our standards, which sometimes for some reason people have this diversity conversation like, oh, we're just going to lessen it to help people in. No, we are creating a framework for all to succeed. And I think you've done that. And your narratives are that same from when you have your film um, festivals that, oh my gosh, is so awesome, right? Oh, so fabulous. To Juneteenth, to when we are celebrating um, an investiture of our, of our president, you bring in all of the amazing diversity that exists in the south suburbs and beyond and it is not a place of from fixing it or assuming weak or that we have to help them up but rather we are serving this amazing community that is us from our nursing programs to our doctoral programs to everything we do people will see and feel the impact overall that is my hope and wish and continued hope for gsu so see i'm coming into work already in progress so it's easy <laughs> And we're with you. One of the questions I asked the president, Dr. Green, is about our responsibility to her. Mm. How can we help in her role as president? Because I think that's part of the climate and culture, too. When she spoke to us before, faculty and staff, those are part of her masters that she serves, right? We also have that ability to weaken that position and break that position. So we have the responsibility to build it and support it. So I think that goes both ways. We, we're talking about what human resource can do and how human resource can see people. I think it works both ways. And speaking of things that work both ways, how does the board 
reconcile their goals and hopes compared to what students want. So where are students that we serve in this whole equation and how the board operates? And that's a very clear answer that the students are at the center. They're at the epicenter. So they have to be there. They have to be in every conversation. We all exist for, for this serving this. We have the opportunity as a board to build framework. And so we're not in the weeds. And I think if you look at the board work and you look at a big party, the board is in the balcony, not on the dance floor. So the interactions that happen with your administration, with your staff, with your faculty, with your students, that is the work that is being done on a daily basis. The board, because we have a different viewpoint, we're not in it, right? So I'm looking down and I'm like, okay, let me give some input. And we work through the president to ask those questions and we need to hear from them. So the president, I have to make sure people understand, the president, any president is an ex-officio board member, right? So they're part of the board, but they call it ex-officio, which basically means they don't, they don't vote, but they like sit on the board. And so they should be, that role should be a conduit and a voice. And so that we actually hear from all of their very key constituents, including faculty, staff and students. It doesn't just come from the effective staff and student senate, but your students should be involved and should understand about the policies that are being written to have a voice. And we need to listen to that because ultimately we balance our fiduciary responsibility, the culture climate piece of it and the framework, but it has to be executed within there. So if students are not part of the conversation at all, you lose the most important key constituent about why you are there. Tell us about the importance of a board at a university, but also generally speaking in other community organizations. Yeah, it doesn't shift in that, especially in, in you're talking about community organizations, education, any of these places. I served on the, our local school board as well when, before, and I, I serve on boards for nonprofits. The board, again, creates a framework and should not be in the day-to-day -day because we don't know about the day-to-day -day happening, but we're looking at policies, procedures, structure so that you can work within this framework to be successful. So we look at things, not just from the monetary standpoint, but there could be communication structure, policies on how we deal with different issues. Um, but, but it's very, very important, I believe, for any particular board to understand our role and how we interact. And some of that can be nuanced within the organization because you have more active boards and some things. The board should be educated on what's going on. We should be invited to things. Like it's just to be a scary thing. And I've seen that, right? So some organizations, this is the board. So like, if you walk into a space, people go, oh my God, like, why do you do that? You don't ever like, GSU, we're not, we're not that board. We have really excited, passionate people. Many of them are graduates of GSU. So passion, but understanding our boundaries. So creating the framework and then allowing the constituents within that organization to do their best work. And if there's a miss, that's when we need to bring it back. But then we create the policy procedure, structure standards, and then you go do what you're going to do best. I have a very practical question for you. I'm the pragmatic here. <laughs> and I've attended a lot of board meetings in the roles that I've had. And some could actually make money by being a reality team. Oh my God. Yes, I've seen those, especially yeah, with, with social media them. now and being when they're streaming, right? Because it feels like everybody's playing to the camera. Oh, yeah. Right, right. I say, why don't you just take this on the road, make some money, do a fundraiser, <laughs> something. This is entertaining. Yeah. But, you know, we don't want it to be entertaining. No. What are some of the key components to maintaining order and continuity in a board meeting? And I think it's really important for our listeners because sometimes they have the wrong concept of how a board meeting should be run. I've seen boards that don't do their homework until they're at the board meeting. So now what should take one hour or two hours is taking five hours. And because there is investment, there is work 
that goes into being a board member, meaning you have to be prepared. We are on the board, leaving your, your, your hat off, like I'm, I'm an HR person, I have that lens, but on the board, I'm not the HR person. If the person is an attorney, they don't lose that hat ever, but they're not the board's attorney. So making sure that you're able to wrestle through that piece of it, so we gotta be very careful about that. But the appropriate governance is the next, which is means that we have, we have our own structure, process, continuity, that is brought and that everyone should be educated on that. Not only just us, but other people who may be even coming so people understand this. Educating ourselves on all of the things that happened beforehand. And then finally, if we respect how we say things. So that is going to always be important for me. So the structure piece, let me go to structure for a minute, which I love. And if your audience and people show up at board meetings, they do need to understand it's not a reality show, right? The board meeting is that of the board. We are, if you say a board, we are in the public, but we are not of the public which means we have to have our meeting and our meeting is of the board and we should be having conversations with the board. And that's why it feels sometimes disrespectful and mean where people say, especially like you call for public comments, you do something and we just go thank you. Is because we, but that's not the time to discourse, right? It's a meeting, it's a board meeting. Before that, you have committee meetings where you may delve into the things. You have other touch points to go to your Senate to talk about different areas where you need to bring things forward. But in the board meeting, it should be very simple. We literally are taking action on things we're putting on record votes to make things happen that we should have had conversations about before. So by the time it gets to the board, I saw this before, it's kind of funny, um, where you would see groups of people showing up to pick at something else, but it's like, I mean, but you need to, I would say every constituent needs to be involved with things that are going on, not the day of the vote, but beforehand. Because by the time you get to a meeting, truly most have done their homework. We don't come to the meeting not knowing where we're going to vote. The whole point is you come in that and you are putting on record all of the research and the good work and the committee work that has gone before. We take input, but if we are just now at that moment deciding how we're gonna vote, we're not doing our job because we need to do it well. That's in any board situation, be it a corporate board, nonprofit board, education board, public board. The work at the board is simply a meeting to execute on record the work that has come before. And we're getting there, we're not there yet, right? But there shouldn't be a lot of long-term presentations. This should be, this is what you have in your board book. Does anyone have any questions? Let me answer a question or two, but technically you might've gotten that before. So we're saying, if there are no other questions, let's take, let's take a vote. Can I get a motion on the floor? Can I get a second? Let's vote aye, let's vote nay. And you may not have a consensus and that's okay. You don't need that. You can count four to three, whatever that looks like. And it's to move on. And that is simply a public record of work that has been done. It is not a time to screaming and yelling and all that. Cameras work real well. But again, we have to make sure that we are fiduciary, strong fiduciaries in our role, that we are trustees in our role, that you don't vote one way because of one constituent, you take it everybody's perspective. And our role is to take all of that, good, bad, and ugly. It's like, and make the best decision for the university, our students, and our faculty and staff, period. Thank you for that. I wanna just reiterate two important things that you said. Number one, respect. And I know in the decorum, when the board is listening to public comments, that public, they want you to respond to them and you can't. So there needs to be mutual respect and understanding the process. So I'm glad you mentioned that. And the other thing is to not bully the board. And the real work occurs before the board meeting. When parents want to have an input, when the communities want to see a change, when you want to promote something, present something, make a difference, 
All that work happens prior to a board meeting. So it's not just okay to show up upset and I want to get my voice heard. Right. The work, there's an investment in the work. And if you're serious about change, then that needs to occur in the work well before the board meeting and getting involved in different layers of that that can evoke change. And that's anyone, any any organization that you are passionate about, students for our university, if you were in a nonprofit, if you're part of that, if you're in a community where you live, your villages have board meetings. And the number of people that show up to board meetings is like this until there's an issue and then they show up and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. this has been a, a publicly posted board agenda for the last four months. We have discussions, discussion, discussion. This is the action meeting. This is not that time to show up. We, we've got to get people to be involved because passion, it's an engagement piece of it. And you do have a voice. And I want our students to really get invested. I met some young students, one of some of our students at the investiture. And I'm like, please come to board meetings. And the great thing is right now with Zoom, we're streaming. Show up, listen, just at least understand what it feels like, it looks like, because one day you will sit here and there's impact and there's financial impacts and there's impacts on people, right? Because we got HR committee, we got governance committee, we got the financial committee, we got academic affairs committee. Go to one of those committee meetings. Let's talk about that so that you feel part of it. So, so, you're, so you're not waiting for something to happen to you. You are part of the something happening. Okay, I have one more question. I promise, just one more question. This is fun. I love it. And this is really about Cleveland Avenue because Cleveland Avenue, they have to make a commitment to you to allow you to do this work. Absolutely. I know this is your work outside of Cleveland Avenue, but this is part of who you are. So what about the commitment of Cleveland Avenue to allow you to assume such a role and presence? Because I mean, your presence is out there. But it is who we are. It is that part when we talk about retention, it's those conversations and questions that came up before I started working here. The ones that if I didn't know, they made sure I knew. So I knew that Don and Liz Thompson were forces in the field of change and entrepreneurship and education. I knew that piece of it. So I know the culture that they're looking to bring forward. I know that leadership in the community and our investment is critical for them. So I can ask those questions and I can say, hey, I, I, I'm on this board. We meet like this and they go, absolutely. Let's talk about that because when I show up and Amy brought that, how do I bring my, you were talking about the, the map you work, right? How do I bring my best self to work? And if I know that your values are aligned with the values of the company, I'm knocking down walls to, to do that work for you because it aligns so much. We have one of um, GSU's students as one of the interns in our internship program. That connection is there. They earned that role. They, they interviewed and they did all of this, but that connection was there. Again, I think it's going back, Joy, to that, the, the, uh, the retention piece of it. Don knew who I was before I got here. I knew who he was. I know the values of that family. And I know when I say people are important to me, education is important to me, they're like, I got you. Then let's figure that out. So yeah, so when you work at a place, understand the values of the organization, weigh them against yours, and is this where I can work? Can I bring my best work every single day? And can they value me? That's the retention piece. And you are bringing your best self to us, and we appreciate that so much. And we have really enjoyed, I have really enjoyed having this conversation with you today. Well, you as well. And I, and Amy, we, you know, we interacted, I think it was the investor we saw, we were just talking in line and the spirit that comes forth, just, you could tell your passion for education, for the students, for the work you're doing. And then she's like, oh, I want you to be joy. This is what we're doing. I'm like, oh, you had me at hello. 
because you can you can feel that I am energized by your energy and it's just such a pleasure to interact with um, women like yourself that are not only creating a pathway but being examples and standing up strong in the fields that you are and pushing the envelope to create change to impact our students and our community. So thank you for your work. Thank you for that. Thank you. This has been wonderful. Thank you for listening to Teaching and Learning Theory versus Practice with Dr. Amy Viaclia and Dr. Joy Patterson. We hope that you have been inspired by this conversation and will join us again as we talk about trends in education and perspectives on teaching. We welcome your comments and feedback. What conversations are you interested in hearing? We'll leave it up to you, our listeners. Did theory or practice win the match? I think it was theory probably this time. Uh, practice. Until next time, we're Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy.